The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! <laughs> I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, oh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. W.H. Weiscarver, a recent guest on the show, has pledged 50% of the proceeds from his book Twilight of Empire from sales between October 1st and October 31st to support the Tom Sumner program. W.H. Weiscarver, a former National Security Advisor and counsel for the U.S. Senate Armed Services Committee, pulls no punches, fusing history with political intrigue in Twilight of Empire, the third of four planned novels in the Resurrection Saga series. W.H. Carver's book, Twilight of Empire, shows that the U.S. has all the wealth, science, and resources to solve every issue we face today. Twilight of Empire by W.H. Carver is available on Amazon and Apple Books. For more information and to support the Tom Sumner program, visit whyscarver.com. This is Bear Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is uh, Armchair Politics from Hell on the Tom Sumner Program. Every year at uh, the week of Halloween, we uh, gather up the round table and go to hell. <laughs> and it's great to be here. Yeah. And we're good at it. <laughs> it feels like home. Yeah, uh, it's for right. All of, for all of your uh, audience. Almost like being in Flick. For all of the audience that does not see us. Well, and this is the first time that we've uh, been uh, face-to-face since before the the pandemic, and it's nice to have the roundtable actually assembled in person. It is a roundtable. And, of course, uh, this week's edition of Armchair Politics includes or features, rather, our roundtable regulars, our panel of political pundits includes on the left, Flinch Premier Political Pundit Paul Rosicki. Always Welcome good to be back, here. Paul. And uh, on the right, longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter. Welcome Thank you, back Tom. to you, Henry. And joining <laughs> us uh, for this edition of Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program, East Village Magazine contributing editor Jan Worth Nelson. Jan, Yay. welcome. I'm so happy to be here. 
Glad you could go to hell with us. Yeah. I brought my husband to hell with me, too. He could probably say, that happened about 20 years ago. <laughs> well, welcome to uh, part two of Armchair Politics. As we uh, continue on, we... Um, a key Michigan department leader declined to unequivocally tell lawmakers Thursday whether public water in Benton Harbor is safe. Well, yeah. At times, also dodging questions about why Governor Gretchen Whitmer and others are responding aggressively now to a crisis first identified in 2018. Instead, Lisa Clark, director of the Michigan Department of Environment, Great Lakes and Energy, and others focused on the broader issues uh, lead water pipes create for the state, noting that it falls on the legislature to appropriately fund infrastructure projects needed to avoid such emergencies in the future. The finger pointing comes as Whitner and other state leaders recently started a robust effort to respond to the crisis in the southwest Michigan community where elevated lead levels have raised red flags and rendered the water unsafe to drink consistently since 2018. It also comes several weeks after community groups and environmental activists filed a detailed petition with the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency calling on the federal entity to step in because of what they deemed inadequate efforts by state and local leaders. The state's response to the crisis has noticeably increased since the petition was filed. <laughs> Is what's happening in Benton Harbor and now possibly Hamtramck deja vu all over again? Absolutely. That was my reaction. Here we go again. If you've been listening to this show for the last 10 years, you know, we've, we've had, <laughs> just wait. We've been there, done that. Uh, yeah. This is going to resurface again in many of the cities yeah. because they were all structured yeah. the same way. Yeah. Uh, back since 1900, they were structured with lead pipe. Yeah. 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 Flint, Flint yeah. was the first, but not, not the only by any Have means. Have we learned nothing yeah. from Flint? Yeah. And, and uh, uh, by the way, I, I'll say this again so everybody finally learns what I'm saying. Uh, that uh, the legislature, no, the EPA published a note to Congress back in 1996 oh. indicating that uh, the groundwater systems throughout the United States was leaking and huh. threatening public health and safety. Yeah. And they sent it to Congress. Nothing happened. Then in uh, 2006, they did the same thing. Mm -hmm. And 2012, they did the same thing. And in oh, 2014, you guess what happened? They found yeah. Legionnaire's disease, remember? Yeah, oh, sure. And then yeah. we also found the lead in yeah. the water, which was always there. But wow. So no, the, the, message, the message has been there. We didn't there. learn anything. Yeah. yeah, I think oh, Whitmer's got to respond both quickly and effectively here. For both legal reasons and political reasons, I mean, and if human you look reasons. at what happened to, to, to Snyder, yeah. the same thing could happen again if she doesn't respond quickly to this. Yeah, yeah, you know, uh, yeah, and I, I agree with you totally. I hope she comes through strongly, yeah. and I hope she gets support from the legislature too. Which, yeah. um, it's um, it's the obligation to the human beings that live here, the she children. Can't commit that, money to structures that she doesn't have. <laughs> You got to well, have money to take care of the stuff, and it well, takes big dollars yeah. like from Congress. Yeah, and that's another argument for federal intervention. There's certain things that, ha like you're saying, the EPA has been sending out these warnings. Since, yeah. You said 1996. Yeah, 1996, mm -hmm. 19. Uh, this is another example of the federal government's need to, for things that are broadly of import, uh, everywhere across the country, there should be a massive, consistent program yeah. to make. The water safe for children. Yeah. 
Because some cities did it right. Lansing. Yeah, I know. They had a habit right. of every every year they replaced 10% of their pipes, and right. there was no they, crisis there. But the so the many just kind of coasted there. along. Right, right, right. That's your point. And I, I always respect what you have to say about it because I know it's your background, and you know this stuff inside and out. Yeah. Your perspective has been clear and alarmed all the way along. I appreciate that. Thank you. Well, Governor Gretchen Whitmer will veto the latest effort by legislative Republicans to create a school voucher system in Michigan, a new proposal that may skirt a constitutional ban on using public money to fund private education. Bills fast-tracked in the House and Senate on Tuesday create a system where private donors would give money to specially created organizations, which in turn would divvy up the funds for qualified students to use for educational purposes. However, all of those contributions would be entirely tax-deductible, mm -hmm. resulting in mm -hmm. hundreds of millions less in tax revenue, according to legislative projections. What's... What is wrong with this way of funding education? Well, it's kind of a backdoor voucher system, isn't it? I yeah, mean, it's what it strikes is. me as. It's, uh, but there's something to be said good about this. Because uh, uh, the Americans guarantee that every child is guaranteed to a free public education, right. free and uh, systematic education that benefits them during their lifetime. We are not doing that. Right. If, we don't, if, we don't, if people who don't want to go to public schools and they will find another way to fund it, we have to let it happen. Because we, to guarantee that our kids are guaranteed uh, the American dream. Part of the American dream is to get a free mm -hmm. yeah, public education. So, so uh, well, how do we do it? We develop these charters now. I mean, for better or worse, the charters are in many ways supplanting the traditional public schools in a lot of areas, particularly yes. in Flint. Yes. Um, I by the terms of religious schools, it, there is a constitutional yeah. prohibition There's cultural there. issues. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was going to say, this just brings up to me the point that it's about time we have an actual reckoning about public education. Uh, what do we want to continue to have public education in this country? We've been chopping away at it with disrespect, I think, for the mm -hmm. children in the same way that we've been doing the lead pipes almost, you know? I feel like if I had a, a school-aged child in Flint, I don't know what I would do. Yeah. Um, you know. And, you know, you, it raises the issue of if you have a poorly run school district, like in Flint, exactly. which yeah. has been just plagued with trouble, and, you you know, there's mold in the schools and the teachers are leaving like crazy, there's no behavior, behavioral expert control in the classrooms, so now we're paying the price for the failure of public education over a period of 30 or 40 years, I think, and... I would like to see a reckoning with the model of public education that doesn't require us going out of outside of that system. And, and you there know, was a time it used to work right. I mean, Flint was once the right. premier educational yeah, yeah. organization in the country. Now it's on the verge of collapse almost. I know. Yeah. And pouring more education, uh, more money into it does not improve it. Right. And, no. and that's where taxpayers have become frustrated. Right. They're walking away and farmers say, that's it. Yeah. I'm not going to put any more money in systems that don't work. Right. People in public education have got to try to figure out a way to have some kind of productivity that benefits students. Right, absolutely. And, and when you're failing yeah. all the time and you can't pass yeah. the ACT or the yeah. um, 
uh, standardized test, yeah. and that's the criteria without criticizing it. Yeah, not, yeah. what, what would you replace it with? It's worked right. this way for hundreds of years, and yes. then all of a sudden, like, the Constitution, oh, well, the Constitution says that you got to protect my rights there. Right. But we, uh, education is a competitive system. It well, brings yeah. the best out of us. Should, yeah. yeah. Let me add one thing about the Clio schools here. A few years, some years ago, Jim Hanley and I did a study on the local schools and the money they got and then the scores kids got. And the Clio schools did remarkably well with fairly modest amounts of funds yes. huh. compared to other schools. I remember the You had less yeah. than many, yeah. but huh. the students did dramatically better yeah. than, than many That's other schools. That's because schools. they were run by farmers. You know. Huh. Maybe I don't know. Well, I, don't, I don't know the reason. Yeah, they said they don't pay for stuff that yeah. doesn't work. Did you guys read um, Gary Fisher's Village oh. Life column uh, yeah. about yeah. Washington yes, School? That is so heartbreaking to yes, me because I did. that, I mean, the the Flint story, the public education story in Flint, as you alluded to earlier, is just so heartbreakingly representative of what's going on nationally in a lot of places. I think. That his column about that school and now it was set on fire. It had that gorgeous photos of yours. Yeah, I saw them in your um, paper. Of the of the corpse of that school the leftovers. and the corpse of the neighborhood around yeah, it. Yeah, they just, um, yeah, the neighborhood is similar. It burned out houses, it empty is. lots, that kind of thing, all over the place there. And his description yeah. of the way it was yeah. as a fine neighborhood public school in the fifties and sixties. Um, it's just heartbreaking. It's like I feel like something huge has been lost, and I wish we could find our way back to that. Yes. You know, so now we have the charter school, the Flint Cultural Center charter school. Uh, but is that the solution? I mean, they brought students in on the lottery system to get in there. Yeah. Is that the solution? And they still have kids coming to that school with the same issues. Right. You you can. Right. Uh, we're all trying to read the, uh, achieve uh, a modality that represents race, gender, age, etc. Yeah. All of those things constitutionally protected, and we're, we're doing that, but it's not solving any problems. Right. Um, I was going to say, normally I've been a critic of the charter school, but I must say that what I'm hearing about the, the Flint Charter School and the Cultural Center that, sounds pretty good so that far. That principal is from yeah. Davison Leeski, yeah. I think his name is. Uh, Harold Ford's piece, he interviewed that principal of that school, and that story was just in the other day. 82% um, of their students are economically disadvantaged. Mm -hmm. and so they know, still are having issues. Did you see the criticism of Flint schools there? <laughs> the Flint school board member that criticized that whole process of the, uh, the Mott withdrawing that oh, money. Oh, yeah. You know, that's well, almost ugly. We should need to let these things grow. And right. see where they take us. You think that the Flint Community Schools should take Mott money at this point? Should they negotiate with that offer well, for $200 it, million or whatever? Well, I think that they need that money. Me too. Yeah, yeah they yeah. need to compete for it. You know, if you don't go out and compete for something, it's not worth much. Yeah. They're giving it to you, and you won't... It won't be. I think I saw a story that said they were the, the school board was taking a second look at that. They finally they are. Finally, they got after two almost people resi resigned. Yeah. And the departure of those two people seems to have opened the door for a more sane discussion about mm -hmm. this offer from the Mott uh, Foundation. I I have mixed feelings about the way the Mott Foundation props up the whole community all the time, it's, but yeah. Uh, yeah, the schools, man. Yeah. We're talking about the children of the city yeah. that are not getting what they should have. 
Well, hey, we've got to take a short break, but uh, we'll continue with Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner program after we let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. We'll be right back. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on...
And welcome back, everybody. We continue with uh, this week's edition of Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. And we're coming to you live from the uh, Hell Saloon in Hell, Michigan. Yay, 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 yay. Hell of a good time. And... uh, (laughs) They must we get have. sick of these these lines. <laughs> I'm I bet not the tired of it yet. people who live here must get tired of hearing that stuff. I'm shameless. <laughs> you can keep going, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's a little different setup for me, so I'm I'm a That's little okay. bit distracted here. But uh, Michigan's uh, Independent Citizens Redistricting Commission held an event in Flint this week at the Dort Financial Center to gather input toward shaping Michigan's political boundaries for the next ten years. Other public hearings have been held in Detroit, Lansing, Grand Rapids, and Gaylord in the past weeks, according to a news release from the commission. Public hearings are available online at the MICRC YouTube channel. There is also a public comment portal on the Redistrict Commission's website at michigan.gov forward slash MICRC. Residents can comment on proposed maps, and submit their own drawings. Um, what has to happen next? What steps need to be taken after the public comments have been heard, Paul? Now, I think, you know yeah, the, I'm not sure the, the exact time frame, but I think as soon as public comments are done, and I think they're close to that now, then they finalize the maps. They've got to have the maps, I believe, in place at the very latest by the end of the year, although I think there's one deadline that's supposed to be November 1st, well, which they're not going to make. they go back and digest the comments. Yeah, yeah, they're going to do that. And then formulate so, a strategy. Somebody. I, I think Flint was the last one on the list for the hmm. various public hearings. Ah. So I think within the next few weeks, they're going to be finding, they, they got a choice of three or four maps that I've seen for State House, State Senate, U.S. House, and I think they've got to finalize those in the next couple of weeks. Uh, the absolute drop dead deadline is the end of the year huh. but I think they should be done before then with any kind of luck. And how does it look for the 5th? Is it For the 5th at least the map I saw takes Genesee County, Lapeer County parts of Northern Oakland County into what probably would be a much more competitive district for Dan Kildee. That's what I figured. If, if that's the final map. Yeah. Um, and then well, is, there a, is there an appeals process? I mean, in some states, like in Texas, they're saying there's already, they're taking them to court. Already. Yeah, well, they can always go to court. That's, and the danger is we've got the election next year, and, and candidates even right now are not sure what they're running. And I see uh, right. Slotkin is trying to decide whether she's going to run against Dan Kildee or run over in the Lansing area oh, geez. because she's got a choice there. She's gonna, they're, they're setting her up to be against she Kildee. By one map, she was in the same district as Dan Kildee. Oh, man. That's right, uh, huh. if that's the final map. Dan uh, Kildee is one of those guys that more than likely will survive. I think I know, so, I although so. You, if you throw Lapeer County in there and take out Saginaw County, it's going to be a closer race. I mean, Kildee's won by 60%, 70% of the vote most of the time, so he's pretty secure in the current district. But when, when Dale Kildee ran, there was one time Dale Kildee had a district that included Southern Genesee County, Flint and Southern Genesee County, Northern Oakland County, and he, yeah, I remember he that. barely won. Huh. A couple times. He was dead. Yeah, he was against the Republican from, from uh, uh, Pontiac. Yeah, yeah. One yeah. woman who just was running for the first time gave him a run for his money. Yes. Uh, when he I had to take in Northern yeah. Oakland County. Um, one last one last thing from Michigan, and then we'll move to move to Washington. Um, yeah, I'm going to see. 
Michigan Governor Gretchen uh, Whitmer outraised former Detroit Police Chief James Craig by more than a two-to-one margin since late July and padded a huge fundraising lead over Craig and other candidates in the Republican race for governor. Um, Whitmer reported raising $3.1 million in the latest quarter, bringing her total hmm. fundraising haul to $17.3 million, <clears throat> with more than a year still to go before the 2022 general election. Um, and we talked about this last week where she might have to give some of that money mm-hmm. back because of the, the whole... Uh, being able to raise unlimited funds if you're for up recall. for recall, yeah. and it's questionable as to whether she's really up for How recall. How serious a recall are we talking about? But uh, yeah. And since we talked about it, yeah. this is kind of an interesting development. She can take that money and donate it to the party, and the party can turn around and use that money to do uh-huh. issue as exactly. supporter. Uh-huh. But my question is, and, and it's one of those things that comes up during every election, every election cycle, is... Is whoever raises the most money assured victory? No. Oh, no. <laughs> one, one, one line I love to use in class was the uh, the road to the White House is, is lined with the bones of millionaires. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, raising uh, the most, it's, it's nice uh-huh. to have the money, but it's yeah. no guarantee. A good example is Liz Cheney in Wyoming. Yeah. She's got like, I, I mean, she's she's got millions of dollars more than the, than her competitor that's primarying her. Yeah. And I think it's going to probably be a tight race, right? <laughs> yeah, that's true. So, uh, hmm. And these days, especially when you raise so much money, there's actually is a point where there's diminishing your returns because you can't. Everybody's bought all the TV time you can buy. Yeah, yeah, there's a you little. Got, you can only send out so many flyers before you start annoying people. Right. Uh, and so, yeah, there's a limit to how much you can make. Yeah. Well, huh. it, it used to be that if you raised uh, money and you didn't spend it, or you were going out of business, or you got defeated, that yeah. excess money was to go to charity. Oh. Now, uh, Tom your, says that it goes, goes, to, the goes to your party you or, or, or another candidate, theoretically. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so they could give some to kill the or something. Sure, or, yeah, sure. But, huh. but what, kind, what kind of sense does that uh, does that respect the people's intent? I don't think right. the people intended for that money to be used right. to perpetuate politics throughout right, right. the system. No, yeah. but in uh, that seems to be flawed as far as I'm concerned, and we should probably talk about that. I kind of like the idea of public financing of campaigns. That's the only way to get around. Just, you know, otherwise, everybody just gets the same amount. I, You're forced to talk about otherwise. ideas. I know. <laughs> God forbid. Yeah. Well, in, in, on a related note, drama on the House floor developed when Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene oh, confronted yeah. Representatives <laughs> Jamie Raskin and Liz Cheney as the House was voting on the criminal contempt resolution against Steve Bannon. This is a joke, Green said in a raised voice to Raskin and Cheney, a Wyoming Republican engaging in an altercation with the pair in the middle of the House floor. Video of the House floor documents Green approaching Raskin and Cheney. Green waves her hands in the air, and at one point Cheney points her finger in the air back at Green before turning her back. (laughs) A row of seats separated the three for the majority of the time. He's both Republicans. Cheney responded to Green by saying she was a joke and referred to a previous Green comment about Jewish space lasers, (laughs) per per source familiar with the interaction. 
Is the U.S. House starting to imitate British Parliament? <laughs> or like dare it. I Flint say it, Flint City Council. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Sounds like it. Oh, yeah, yeah. But you got to have a little bit of humor, guys. Comedy. I don't find it. Well, not to put a bit of sour about this. Miss Green is so funny. She is. She is. I don't. I don't find her funny. I mean, no, no disrespect to your view there, because we were talking about the need for humor earlier. But she's going up there calling them traitors when. Yeah. But you know, this is all fluff. Well, she's She's an elected official. I know, but it's fluff. But. She's part of, she was part of the deal, the one six deal. You know, I mean, it's not fluff when you're talking about an attack on the yeah, U.S. Capitol. I, 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 I am I'm but afraid I don't have a big sense but, of humor. But you know, members of Congress worked together with those those folks on January sixth. Yeah, I mean, I, we'll, we'll see what the numbers show. What no, the, when you are uh, commenting on something, oh, and uh, it should look more than just a ten, what a high school. A debate team, right? Know, where you just yeah spread out all kind of fluff there. But it should look. You should have some substance so that people can grab on exactly and track you. Yes. Yeah, you, you, like a laser. You know. Not but, a Jewish laser. But, though. But, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not like uh, for example, you, you you're here and then you're there like an atom. You know, you can't. Yeah. Like I like the Heisenberg uncertainty principle. So you can't you know, predict. The funny thing is, though, the more over the top you are and the crazier you are, the more media coverage you get. Right. I mean, who would have heard of, of Taylor Green except for this kind of stuff? Right. You know? Uh, and she's but be I think she'd become a kind of star in her own bizarre yeah. right. Well, so, do you think she should be censured for well, some of the things she's... I don't know whether she should be censured. They, the American people know how to take care of the people. They will so take care of themselves. you think that she's... That her constituents are tired of her or something, or are you know you can be in the, you can be out on the platform too long, and people will pay you no attention. There's we have a certain amount of time to sit on this on the round table, but we are effective. And then people get tired of you, right? Yeah. You gotta go home. Yeah. Take your red wagon and go home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a, and, and we've had other characters in Congress before. I mean, she's hardly the first one. Right, that that's true. Up. Of yeah. both parties. Yeah, it's both parties over the years. Yeah. All kind of strange characters that popped up. But, but they are, they're, they're, they're good copies, so to speak. They make, they make yeah. good coverage. What are we, are we giving you what you want here? Yeah. We're in hell. <laughs> it's good. We're in hell, so. <laughs> well, we can get he away put with it. it. He put us in hell. <laughs> that's right, yeah. <laughs> Well, a week after the 2020 election, Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick announced that he was offering up to $1 million paid from his campaign account to incentivize, encourage, and reward people to come forward and report voter fraud. <laughs> Nearly a year later, Patrick, a Republican, has paid out his first reward. $25,000 to a Democrat in Pennsylvania who reported a man for voting twice. Eric Frank, a poll worker, received the money earlier this month for his part in reporting Ralph Holloway Thurman, a Republican, who, after voting once, attempted to vote a second time as his son. That's what he's in my column. As first reported by the Dallas Morning News. Of course, 
I never do anything for money. That's just how I was raised. I do things because it's just the right thing to do. And I would have reported Thurman even if he was a Republican or a Democrat, Frank told CNN by phone on Friday. Should this be used to promote a theory that Republicans are more likely to commit voter fraud? Well, my, my favorite story was one when I did a column on this a while back. was a guy in Colorado. And you understand my point in asking the question oh, yeah. that way because I don't want Henry to get the impression that I'm trying to pick on Republicans. Oh, it's no. Just yeah. this, this you idea. might be picking on Republicans. Yeah. Well, I, I grew up around <laughs> Chicago. I know about that. Yeah, but the, the idea is you take one yeah. example. Yeah. You're yeah. a Republican who tried to vote again. Yeah. And, and you create this whole. Yeah. story around it that you know Republicans yeah. you know are, are just oh. cheaters and yes. try to vote well, twice and, and yeah. what I'm saying is isn't that what we've been hearing from the Republicans oh, yeah. about right. yeah, yeah. the yeah. other side and yeah, yeah. the so called big lie right. you know a few little things happen yeah. here and there as they are bound to and then it becomes like you know, you, you can't trust Democrats to yeah. vote by themselves. Yeah. You know, that, that, and that's the point I'm trying yeah. to bring up a little bit. Yeah. And, and My, rightfully so, because we have no angels on either side. God kept them for himself. Yeah. My, my favorite story out of that was there was one of a guy in Colorado who voted twice. He was, again, he was a Republican, voted twice for Trump, once for himself, one for his wife. The problem was... His wife had died, and he's charged with murdering her. So, <laughs> but he voted twice. Apparently, she wasn't going to vote for Trump. Apparently not. <laughs> that was a dead issue. Yeah, that, you're right. Wow. So your point was that it becomes a big. Well, I mean, Dan Patrick set himself up for that one. He certainly did. But your point was that suddenly it becomes either the Dems are bad well, or the Republicans I mean, are bad. My point is that we take one or two. Yeah, there's a couple right, stories right. here and there. Right. Yeah, and then you know because because the the momentum of social media and the 24-hour news cycle and all of that, you know, within 48 hours, it's trending. Yeah, that Republicans vote twice. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, it's a setup. No, that's, that's, a real, that's a real point. It's just, there's a few it's rare examples here and there. That does not constitute a trend. Right, right. Yeah. That's but right. That's my point. Yeah. But and I, and I think a lot of times, now, all we've heard about is what happened, at least for the last day or two, what happened down there in New Mexico on that film set with Alec Baldwin. Right, I know. Wow. And it's, it's a tragic accident. Yeah. yeah. But does that mean that all film sets are unsafe. Right. Yeah, right. I mean, sure, they yeah. should investigate it, and if some guys dropped the ball and didn't do their mm. protocols, then they should yeah. be punished for that, fired yeah. and so on. But, you know, the idea that now all of a sudden, well, we shouldn't have guns on movie sets. Right. Yeah, that instead yeah, of solving the problems in a more overarching way, yeah. I mean, obviously, Dan Patrick set himself up for that one, but the glee the glee about that story is that it's like we've been also besieged what by the big lie for exactly, all this yeah. time and I mean, the, the, the examples of fraud are just so rare I mean, there are so some around rare. out of a nation of 300 million people yeah you're gonna find a few but not enough to change anything yeah yeah so the 
the GOP do respect uh, people who are perpetuating, continuing to perpetuate the fraud theory, um, sort of ask for this one. But I see your point. You're making a point about generalizing well, from inadequate yeah. data. So yeah, whatever side of the aisle yeah, yeah. you're on, you don't get to take, you know, yeah, one person's, you know, illegal or immoral act and then paint, paint yeah. everybody of their sure. persuasion, whether right. it's racial or gender. Well, or that's what Trump did. Or, and that's but what that's I've been what Trump saying did. since I've been on the show. You, you know, you have to have a statistical... Um, what is Where's it? the proof? Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Have have well, that's the whole thing. And it takes about uh, most most businesses require about ninety five percent degree of certainty, or even scientific research, right. a ninety five percent degree of certainty, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or two um, delta what for uh, deviation? Yeah, yeah, yeah. standard, standard deviation. deviation. Yeah. 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 So uh, yeah. we don't pay too much, as you say, Tom. You're exactly right. Uh, a several incident does not establish a trend. Right. We've been besieged with a similar kind of thing from the Trump camp, though, for, since since November 3rd, 2020. Mm-hmm. I mean, all the stories about ballast being dumped in a river, or yeah. suitcases being delivered at three o'clock in the morning, and things right. like that. And when you investigate them, either it didn't happen at all, or they were normal, routine things that always happen and don't mean anything one way or the other. Yeah. yeah. Well, President Joe Biden uh, on Thursday evening said he's considering deploying the National Guard to help ease stress on the U.S. supply chain huh. as it prompts growing concern about the economy, prompting a White House official to swiftly throw cold water on the plan. Yes, absolutely, positively, I will do that, Biden said when asked by moderator Anderson Cooper during CNN's town hall in Baltimore if he was prepared to call up the National Guard. The president said he would uh, specifically consider calling up National Guard members for trucking to help solve a shortage of drivers. If we can't move, increase the number of truckers, which which we are in a process of doing. A White House official, however, told CNN shortly after that the administration is not actively considering deploying the National Guard, despite Biden's comments, uh, requesting the use of the National Guard at the state level is under the purview of governors, and we are not actively pursuing the use of the National Guard on a federal level, the official said. All that procedural wrangling aside, is using the National Guard to break the supply chain logjam a good idea? Uh, the pra- the practicality of it. I mean, we did it with air traffic controllers. Yeah, True, we did it at the I water mean, crisis here too. Those yeah, guys. Do we have enough of them to drive trucks? Are they, are they, are they certified truck drivers? I don't know. Right, right. That's a good point. Yeah, uh, the yeah. women are involved. No, yeah. I don't know whether you can move them. <laughs> I don't know whether you can move the population that quickly. And I think some of the problems are beyond just the personnel. I mean, I've heard that they can't unload the ships because. Things are backed up in the ports already because they haven't got the trucks. But it is the uh, they haven't it, got the trucks, trucks, but they also don't have the people to unload. That's right. But it yeah. is the government's responsibility to make sure that Americans are safe, that they have food, and they carry on their on-day lives uh, as they typically do. And it's yeah. up to the president to decide and Congress to decide how we do this. 
And they got to make sure that we have the new iPhones by Christmas. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) And all the new toys for the kids. I mean, maybe there are some truly emergency items. Maybe I saw a story the other day about how some some pharmacies are running out of medicines. And that's that's, just beginning. Yeah, I I saw that story. To the extent that's true, maybe you do something for that kind of stuff. It's it's a life and death issue. But if it's a matter of getting some new toys for the kids or uh, the latest Mm -hmm. electronic device from, from, from China, I don't know. And when uh. governments can't do that, protect the interests of the people, something else, there's a void that leaves, and guess what? Something else fills that void. And all of a sudden, right. you can never reestablish uh, dominance anymore. Yeah, you remember during the water crisis, a lot of people were very worried about the National Guard coming into town just in oh, Flint right. yeah. to deliver, to run the water uh, pickup. Places. They did it for a while, and they, they did. Yeah, yeah they did, yeah. and they were going door to door. Yeah, and that was an issue too, because yeah. <laughs> some a lot of neighborhoods did not want to see soldiers coming up on their <laughs> yeah, front porch, yeah, yeah. even if they were bringing water with them. I mean, I remember that. I like and the yet, idea of efficiency of the government being able to, which government really normally isn't. But do we really want the government to more and more and more take over encroachment? Our daily lives. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I have mixed I feelings about yeah. that. Well, and it all, and I, I would just suggest that that it be something that should be managed and considered in a way that's meant only to break the log jam and right. not to replace right. truckers, oh, absolutely, right, right, right. longshoremen, or anything <laughs> yeah. else. But if it's yeah. jammed up, let's let's break the log jam. And then pull but the sometimes these out things, and let the thing. Right. But sometimes these things have lives of their own. They take off in different right. directions yeah. in right. ways that That's we don't true. predict. You know, yeah. the, the bizarre spinoff <laughs> of this is, I recall not too long ago, there were stories out that the trucking was going to be an extinct occupation because we're going to yeah. have all these self-driving oh, yeah, trucks right. all over the place. Yeah, ironically. And they were telling kids, oh, don't, don't be a truck driver. The job's not going to be there in the future. Now yeah. we're desperately short of these people. I know, yeah. You know? But I mean, yeah. I remember when the National Guard were doing the water crisis stuff here, that when I went to get my water and those guys were there, the women, I felt like, well, this is a peacemaking, this is a cool thing. It's a community help. It's a peacemaking thing. It's something that we need. I mean, what's more basic than water? So to me, I felt like if, you know, it's not like they have rifles and that you have to fight to get your water. It was right. like a congenial thing. It wasn't that so you were quartering worse. troops. You yeah, yeah, no, that's right. That's they were, right. It was a very relaxed atmosphere. And, and they were nice. And, yeah. you know, they were yeah, generally they were. nice and everything. Uh, so at what point does it become militaristic? Yeah. And I don't know. Yeah, as I say, the practicality is kind of concerning. But government Except for maybe, maybe a few emergency items. Maybe you make a case, like I say, pharmaceuticals for... Food. Well, your point about Well, food. governments do have to act. Well, on that note, we're going to take a short break. We'll be back with uh, my favorite part of armchair politics, the coveted X-Files, as if we haven't turned most of the show into the X-Files today. We'll be right back.
seem to carry all cars. It's not a foxtrot or a polka. It has a little bit of blue rhythm, a blue rhythm that sighs. It has a meter, it has a meter that is tricky. A bit of wicky wacky wicky. But when you dance it with a new love, there'll be true love in her eyes. You'll dream of the new karaoke. It's deep as a kiss to the sun. You'll dream of the new karaoke. When music unites our love. They are better than one, two heads together. That's how the dance has begun. Two arms around you, and lips to sigh, I am yours, and you are mine. While the karaoke carries you away. Mine, while the karaoke still a break of day. And you are mine. You'll never care to do the polka And then you realize the blue and bamboo are through Tomorrow morning you'll discover You're just a karaoke lover And when you dance it with each love There'll be true love just for you
Hey, welcome back, everybody, as we get into the uh, final segment of today's edition of Armchair Politics from Hell. Let me see if I can get this turned down a little bit. Yeah, there we go. Now you can hear a little better. My favorite part of uh, Armchair Politics each week is when we wrap it up with the coveted X-Files. And we start out with... Um, an Israeli scuba diver has salvaged an ancient sword off the country's Mediterranean coast that experts say dates back to the Crusades. Israel's antiques authority said, I can't get, yeah. Monday, the man was on a weekend dive in uh, northern Israel when he spotted a trove of ancient artifacts that included anchors, pottery and a meter long or yard long sword the diver was about 170 yards off the coast in uh, oh five and a half yard deep water when he made the discovery experts uh, experts say the area provided shelter for ancient ships and is home to many archaeological treasures some dating back 4,000 years but such discoveries can be elusive because of the constantly shifting sands. Fearing his discovery might be buried, the diver took the sword ashore and delivered it to government experts, the authority said. The weapon is estimated to be 900 years old. Do you suppose this is the same sword presented to King Arthur by the Lady of the Lake? <laughs> it could be. There we go. Did they do any uh, half-life testing on that? See what you think. <laughs> See what you think. <laughs> what? See what you think. <laughs> Cheers. To oh. hell. To hell. Here we go. To hell. We're having to a little hell. toast here, folks. Yeah. It's... Uh, in hell. In hell. To hell. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> oh. Good. Yeah. Yowza. I thought you might like it. I do. Hmm. Maybe a little too much. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, here's one. More than 80 hippos previously owned by Colombian drug lord Pablo Escobar have a unique distinction in U.S. law. They are the first non-human creatures to be legally considered people. The U.S. District Court for the Southern District of Ohio recognized the late Escobar's infamous cocaine hippos as legal persons for the first time in the United States. The ruling on October 15th came on the same day the Animal Legal Defense Fund filed an application on behalf of the hippo plaintiffs in Colombia intended to stop that country's government from killing the animals. The ALDF announced the decision in a news release Wednesday. The hippos are descendants of four illegally imported by Escobar. They were set free after his death in 1993. Since then, the hippos have increased their numbers to more than 80, and they are reportedly wreaking havoc on uh, the local ecosystem. However, some scientists have argued that they may actually be restoring ecological functions lost for thousands of years due to human-driven extinctions. 
if hippos can be declared persons, could Muppets be declared people so they could serve in the U.S. Senate as suggested by Orson Welles? I think it's got a possibility. This is the circle of life. Where we started. I think it's got some possibilities there. It's always fun to have a little throwback like that. With yours? Well, here's here's another oh, weird one. Pull it up, Jan. That's good. <laughs> Some 300 male and female volunteers stripped naked and donned white body paint for an artistic installation meant to draw attention to the shrinking Dead Sea. Uh, they posed Sunday for the American photographer Spencer Tunick who has done similar installations in other exotic locales around the world, including French wine country. A Swiss glacier and a beach in South Africa as well. The shoot was promoted by Israel's tourism ministry. The volunteers gathered in the early afternoon on Sunday. They disrobed and smeared their bodies with white paint in the desert outside the Israeli city of Arad, the shoot lasted about three hours with the artist positioning the volunteers and the camera. Organizations hope the, uh, or organizers rather, hope the installation will draw attention to the importance of preserving the Dead Sea. The salty body of water at the Earth's lowest point has been steadily shrinking in recent decades as Israel and its neighbors have diverted upstream water sources for agriculture. How can posing nude for photos bring the Dead Sea back to life? <laughs> wow, that, that's the most amazing question you've ever asked on this show. <laughs> really? It's, Where do we go from there? Asking the Dead Sea to back to life back with, to with life? naked people. I don't know. Naked people? I don't know. Um, hmm. I don't know. It's possible I was drinking. <laughs> that, that'll do it. That'll do it. I've been drinking at the time. We got about three minutes left of our uh, adventure in hell. In um, been a good day in hell. What can yeah, you say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it has been. It's good. Good to get back together for the first time in a year and a half. It uh, is. It's yeah. it's tremendous. This is our first time in person uh, since before the pandemic. Armchair politics. Uh, we didn't come down to hell last year because of the pandemic, but. Yeah. Um, We've uh, made a, an annual Halloween tradition out of uh, armchair politics from hell, and uh, it's nice to get back to that. They get out Tom, of the thank bunker. You and for what you do, too. Um, you know, if we're not in hell when we're with you, um, <laughs> I mean, if we want to put it that way, because what you do for the community is great, and um, I, well, I just want to thank you for what you do. You guys know that he's got a fundraising thing going on right yes. now. Yes. So. On just Facebook, yeah. Time to pitch in there. And I'm going to mention one more thing. With the election coming up, be sure and if you want to know about the candidates, Tom is the only guy really who's interviewed everybody, and all that's available. I, I, I did interview. Uh, start. It started September 28th, and on that week, I I did um, on Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday. So the 28th, the 30th. 
and uh, the first of uh, October, I had um, in in three shows. I did uh, the first three wards on Tuesday, and then four, five, and six on Thursday, and seven, eight, and nine on Friday. And I interviewed literally everybody: incumbents, challengers, write-ins, um, ward by ward. And that's how it's posted in the archives. So if you wanted to. You could go to the Tom Sumner Program uh, website archive, click down the audio menu and go to the show archive, and then just scroll down until you uh, find, well, around September 28th, and then look for the ward because it's literally done ward by ward mm -hmm. and it's listed there. So you could just pull up your ward and listen to the candidates. You know, I was going to say those interviews are <laughs> frankly much better even than debates where everybody's got like two minutes to talk. Right, right. Where you've got a substantial amount of time where everybody can develop their the reasons why you ought to vote for them. And I think it's, it's, it's much more powerful than those debates. Well, and thank you for saying that. I, and, and I appreciate Tom, it. I, I want to remind you that next week uh, I have to agree. And oh, is so, that next week? Yeah, you yeah. have what? You're going to have to oh. replace someone with me. And uh, as long as I, I heard no uh, excursions from Democrats or Republicans, so I should be all right. <laughs> no throwing of chairs. There you no go. Sounding uh, of drums. That's great, Henry. Yes, it's surgery, you said, next yeah. week? Uh, so, Hope it goes. Uh, let people know that I, I'm going to miss this thing at my great theater. And let the people please let them know that I, I respectfully uh, do uh, support their causes and I'm always there and I contribute to the organization and I wish them well. We wish you well. Well, thank you. Yeah. As long as I don't have the Democrats and Republicans. Chairs, you better ask your well, surgeon. Yeah, the famous, famous thing line that Reagan had when he was hey, there's smoking George. Hey, uh, <laughs> Taking any ivories, let me know it's time to uh, head on out. But uh, I want to say thanks again to Mike Haney and the folks at the Health Saloon. Yay. I yeah. want to say thanks to the roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Good Henry Hatter. Thank it's you. great to be back in hell with you guys again. And Jan. Welcome to your inaugural trip to I hell. I know, I lost First. my hell virginity. How <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, oh. oh, I lose that? <laughs> on, the, on that note, we're well, going to wrap it up. That, that kind of kills the program right there. Right? Right? Yeah, go I'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. <laughs> For their regular contributions, most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in... The pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner program. And thanks for listening.